0: Welcome to the Sermon Podcast for Canton Church. We gather every week in Canton, Georgia to worship and grow together through God's Word. We exist because generations matter. We hope you are encouraged by today's message. How's everybody doing? We doing good? That was good. This side was better than this side. We doing good? Hey, that was pretty good right there. Hey, we're glad that you're here today. Uh, and let me just say really quick right up front uh, that uh, I appreciate all of you who reached out to us, to our family this last week. Uh, my grandmother passed away, and so we weren't able to be here in person last Sunday. And uh, But thanks to you that just kind of sent emails or texts or have, have reached out this morning. Uh, we appreciate that. She's a great lady, left a mark on my life and so many others, and we were able to celebrate her in a, in a great way this past week. Uh, and just to honor her life, and so uh, I appreciate that very, very much. But uh, last week, we started a brand new series called Fruitology. We're going to spend all summer long looking at this idea of the fruit of the Spirit. And last week, we talked about love and what that looked like. And we looked at some famous passages about love in, in Scripture and how we can love but really this idea of the fruit of the Spirit comes out of Galatians chapter 5. If you remember, if you were here, if not, you can go back and catch this on our podcast. But Galatians chapter 5 was written by the Apostle Paul, all of Galatians was, as he wrote to a group of people there in Galatia, which is really Asia Minor, which is kind of modern day Turkey or includes part of modern day Turkey. And he was writing back to a group of people there that they had kind of started some churches and he was helping to encourage them about the way that they should live. And in Galatians chapter Chapter 5, he challenges them about these two ways that they could choose to live. They could choose to live by the flesh, or they could choose to live by the Spirit. And if they're going to live by the Spirit, he said, hey, there's some things that will be produced in your lives that you need to know about. And those things are listed here in Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse 22. I'd love for you to go there with me in your Bible. Uh, They're in a Bible app. And all summer long, when you show up, you can just kind of keep this page earmarked in your Bible or on your app there. uh, Because we're going to start here just about every week. Galatians 5, beginning in verse 22, says this. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And so the Apostle Paul is telling us that the fruit of the Spirit... Now, interestingly, and I talked about this a little bit last week, interestingly, he doesn't say the fruits of the Spirit. He says the fruit, singular, of the Spirit is these nine things. And so really what he's talking about here is he's not just talking about nine things. He's actually talking about one thing, that when the Spirit of God is leading your life, that one thing is produced. And that one thing is Christ-likeness. It's righteousness. And out of that Christ-likeness that is produced out of your life with Spirit-led living, these nine attributes, these nine characteristics are displayed in your life. They are produced the produce section of your grocery store they are produced out of your life as the spirit of god leads your life but as a part of this passage of scripture here we're going to back up in just a second and read a little bit larger context here so that we understand that this was not the only thing that could have been done in your life there's actually two ways that you could go this is what he says beginning in verse 16 he says but i say walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works, plural, not singular, of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, uh, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, As I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control against such things. There is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And I told you last week, and I'm not going to re-preach it, even though it was a pretty good message, I think. I'm not going to repreach it. I told you last week that the reason Paul used that phrase, crucify their flesh, is because not only was it pretty recent to the day when Jesus himself was crucified on the cross, crucifixion was still a part of the justice system. So aren't you glad that if you get a speeding ticket and you show up to court, it's not pay the fine or be crucified, right? That's not how it happens today. But Paul was using language that they would have understood. What he was saying is, listen, if you are led by the Spirit of God, if you belong to Christ Jesus, you kill off those desires of your flesh. You kill off. You don't just say, well, I'm not going to do that anymore. You do everything possible to kill and crucify and put away those things that do not reflect the character and nature of Jesus Christ. It's not just enough, in my opinion, to say, well, I'm not going to do those things anymore. I think in some circumstances, you got to cut off the places of temptation and stop going there. you got to cut off some relationships from your life because it's not just enough to say, well, I'm going to be strong this time. I've never been strong before, but I'm going to be strong enough this time. I'm going to keep going back to the same place, keep hanging out with the same people, but I'm going to believe that I'm strong enough not to do what I've always done. No, no, no. you got to crucify the desires and passions of the flesh. And what we talked about that will serve us all summer long is that these lists that are given, the works of the flesh and the fruit of the spirit, really are not just opposites of one another. It's not just saying, well, this is when you're good and this is when you're bad. No, the idea here for works of the flesh, the original word in the original language here is ergon, and it is literally translated as work or the acts or deeds to produce something. So, what he's saying, the Apostle Paul's saying here, like when you get up and go to work every day, you make money, right? The produce of your work is hopefully a paycheck, unless you're volunteering somewhere. And then you're making a widget or whatever it is you make on your job. Maybe you just make money in your basement. I don't know what you do to make money, but you work, you produce something. Well, The opposite of that, this fruit of the Spirit, the original word there was karpos, and it is translated as originates or comes from something, an effect, a result. So the fruit of the Spirit that is produced in your life is not you working to produce something. It is the effect of God working in you. That when God is working in you, it's not you working harder and trying to be better. God is actually doing a work in you that produces something else Because He's the one that does the work. And I said this to you last week. We'll say it a lot of the weeks of this summer. The works of the flesh is a result of what you do. The fruit of the Spirit is a result of what God does in you. The works of the flesh is a result of what you do, but the fruit of the Spirit is a result of what God does in you. And so I told you that every week we're going to spend some time talking about one of these attributes of the fruit of the Spirit. And so last week we talked about love. This week we're going to talk about joy. And whenever I think about joy, you know, it always seems to be connected to happiness. It always seems to be connected to how you feel. But what I really want us to start with today, this base idea, is that happiness is a feeling. It is an emotional response to an external set of circumstances. But joy is an attitude. Happiness is a feeling, but joy is an attitude. One of the resources that I use when I'm studying and putting messages together is the Evangelical Dictionary of Theology. And Charles Davis wrote this about joy. He defined it this way. A delight in life that runs deeper than pain or pleasure. It is not limited by nor tied solely to external circumstances. Joy is a gift from God, and like all of his other inner gifts, it can be experienced even in the midst of extremely difficult circumstances. Now, Again, I don't want to just put joy in the context of you have joy when things are bad. You can have joy when things are great. But so often our joy is masked when we are happy by that happiness and we just think, well, I'm happy. So, yeah, obviously I'm joyful. But joyful is probably most evident when we are sad or when things are difficult. Because it's not about our feeling. It is an attitude that we have chosen in advance of those circumstances which try to rob us of that feeling. So, some people that I talked to in the lobby today, they don't feel good and yet they exude joy with their lives because they've chosen an attitude, no matter how they feel, that joy is what they will be. And, and so often it's easy to think about joy when I think about my kids. You know, when my kids, and, and they're still young, especially a couple of the younger ones, they're, they're very young. But when I think about my children, like, they just are joyful, it seems like, all the time. I'm not sure they ha- how they have that much joy or really that much energy, if I'm being honest. But, like, it doesn't matter what's happening. Like, I walk around and I see things and it's not that big a deal to me. But Kenley walks around and she sees a paperclip and it's like, ah! A paperclip! And she's got an imagination and now it's a sailboat and it's going around the moat where the palace with the prince is going to be there and she's going to get married. And now we've got this whole thing happening in our minds and... It was a paper clip, but there's just this joy that comes out of her soul. Scripture talks about that childlike faith. They've done studies, and children laugh about 400 times a day. Adults laugh about 15 times a day. Something has happened to rob us of our joy in life. Maybe it's those external circumstances that have robbed us of our happiness, and we're not sure how to be joyful when we're not just happy when things have happened we don't know how to be joyful in the midst of that, but children have this ability just to be joyful and they find joy in even the smallest things. My son Tucker, I promise, he probably laughs 800 times a day. Everything is funny to Tucker, especially when he's getting in trouble. It's like you, you catch Tucker, his hands in the cookie jar, and like you're trying to get onto him. He ain't having it. He, he is trying. Honestly, I've watched him. He will try to hold his cheeks back from laughing because he doesn't want to laugh. Because, like, if he laughs, it usually means worse for him. So he, But there's a joy inside of him. It's like, can we just get this punishment over with? i got to go back to playing. It's so much fun. Corey cannot discipline Tucker. She can't. I have to be the one because like Tucker does something and she'll start to get onto him. And there's this little gleam in his eye that catches her and she laughs or she giggles. Or if his siblings are in the room when he's getting in trouble, he tries not to look out of the corner of his eye. And then he catches Cooper or Branson or Kenley. And then he's like trying not to laugh. And then they start giggling and then he starts giggling and then Corey starts giggling. And I'm trying to be strong because I'm dead and I've got this. And I don't even know why he's getting in trouble. But now we're laughing and now I'm angry about it. (laughs) Right? But there's just a joy in their heart. And yet sometimes as adults, what's happened to us is the circumstances of life have caused us to only think about the things that we're sad about. Or maybe we we remember what it felt like to be happy, but in our pursuit of more happiness, we didn't get all that we hoped we would get. That pursuit of more, that pursuit of the job that we wanted, the promotion that we wanted, the salary that we hoped for so that we could do some other things in life, the new car, the the new toy, the new thing, marry the right person, do the right, thing, live in the right place, have the right stuff. And it's like if we don't kind of keep meeting all of those hopes and desires We're let down, and we seem to lose our joy. We don't have an attitude that we have decided in advance. We allow all of the external circumstances of our lives to rob us because it's completely based on our feelings. But the reality is, and most of us know this, even if you get all that you hoped for, the goal line moves. You never, ever would have thought like Man, if I could get to a job that made $40,000 a year, I'd be set for life. Or $80,000, if I could live in a house that had more than two bedrooms, if my car would just like not break down every week, I'd be set. And then what happens? You get a car that's more dependable. You get a job where you make a little money. You find a house that you didn't think you could afford, but man, sure enough, you did. And you get there and you look around and it's not quite as fulfilling as you thought. The goal line moves and now you're in pursuit of something different. Pursuit of more, pursuit of more, pursuit of happiness. Because we are never fully and completely satisfied. We are never fully and completely satisfied. And so we are constantly battling against having to choose An attitude of joy versus feeling happiness. You know, I I watched in the news this week some very tragic stories about celebrities that took their own life. And I recognize that there are things at play in those circumstances that I I can't begin to unpack in the time that we have allotted today. There there are mental issues and emotional traumas and and, and physical and physiological things that are taking place in people like that and and people that are struggling with, with issues that they were struggling with. And so in no way would I try to minimize any of that into the time that we have available. But I want to use one of those stories just for the context of what we're describing here. Earlier in the week, I heard about the story of Kate Spade, fashion mogul. I, 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 was, I don't know why. I, I, don't, I don't even know. I, don't, I mean, I knew the name just from popular culture, but I, don't, I was never really tracked with her story at all. But when I heard the story, throughout the week, I've just kind of clicked on stories or headlines that had some more details about what was taking place and just was grieved by all the circumstances. 55-year-old woman seeming, seemingly had everything that you could imagine wanting And I thought about it in the context of what we would be discussing today. If you had gone to 20-year-old Kate Spade and you had said to her, do you think at 55 years old, if you were to become a fashion icon around the globe, sell your company for hundreds of millions of dollars, have tons of toys and all the things that you could possibly want, you think you'd be happy? What do you think she'd have said? Yeah. And yet there were other things at play in her life and other circumstances and other things that she was facing and other ways that she was processing, and yet she came to that place where something was still off. And I would say to you today that if your life is about the pursuit of acquiring things, And if your life is about finding happiness and more happiness and more happiness, you will always be searching for more. But if we say, I want the fruit of the Spirit of God to be demonstrated in my life through an attribute or a characteristic like joy, I want God to fill me with joy so that no matter what's happening in my life, I can still have this attitude and this confidence of joy. You know, the Apostle Paul that we've been talking about in Galatians chapter 5, he wrote a, a number of letters in the New Testament. One of those letters was the book of Philippians. He wrote it while he was imprisoned to a group of people in a city called Philippi, an area called Philippi, and really the group of people that he was writing to that he had encountered previously in the book of Acts while he was there was a group of retired Roman soldiers and so he's writing to this group of Roman retired soldiers who are now facing persecution for what they believe, and he himself is imprisoned. And this is what he writes in Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. How do you have an attitude of joy while you're in prison writing to a group of people that are being persecuted. Well, I think here in this chapter, Philippians chapter 4, I think we see three things that produce joy in our lives. Now, remember what I said earlier. The the, the fruit of the Spirit is not what you do. It's a result of what God does in you. And so these things are not the the checklist. I do this, I do this, I do this. These are the, the seeds that can be planted in your heart as you crucify the other things that we're talking about here so that God can produce joy in your life. Three things here. Look at verse 6 in Philippians chapter 4. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The first thing that I see is that joy comes through relationship with God. Joy comes through relationship with God. You can be happy without being in relationship with God. But I believe that true joy comes out of relationship with God. What we read here, that Paul, who's imprisoned, he says, listen, don't be anxious about anything. If anybody had anything to be anxious about, it, it was Paul. He was headed towards execution. He was imprisoned. prison. He could literally lose his life. He says, don't be anxious about anything. Don't worry about it. Take all the things that you're afraid of. Take all the things that you're anxious about. And if you're in a relationship with God through the person of Jesus Christ, you take all those things and you give them to God and he gives you something back. Peace. And not just like this random, ordinary, kind of peaceful feeling that you feel when you do yoga. No, no, no. I'm giving you something that will guard your heart and your mind and it literally cannot be understood. And some of you have walked in those days where you just, you, you don't even, you can't explain it. You were anxious, you were uneasy, you were afraid, there was some stuff going on, and you just said, God, I, I, I need you to take this. God, I give you what I'm afraid of. God, I give you my anxiety, I give you my fears. And in that moment, you felt a peace that you couldn't even explain. If somebody asked you to describe it, you couldn't describe it. He replaces your anxiety with peace that passes all understanding. And it begins to guard your heart and it begins to guard your mind. As your mind begins begins to wonder towards those things and think about those things, it's like, no, 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 I'm I'm fighting against that. I'm guarding Jeremy's mind today. I'm peace and I'm guarding his mind. He can't go there right now in his thought life. I'm guarding his heart because the fear that he wants to think about and, and really get involved in and really dwell on, and I'm guarding his heart today. Because I'm a God that's replaced his anxiety with peace. In those moments, I can have joy as an attitude that replaces no matter, that is placed there no matter what's going on in my life. I can be imprisoned and have joy because I am replacing anxiety with the peace that only comes from God. Look at this in verse eight. Finally, brothers and sisters, Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. The second thing that I see is that joy is a state of mind. Joy is a state of mind. You just have to decide to be joyful. It says, no, the things that you think about determine what you're experiencing, Whatever is right, whatever is true, whatever is noble, if it's praiseworthy or excellent, think about these things. Well, the problem for me is I want to think about the things that I'm thinking about. The things that make me unhappy, the things that make me anxious, the things that make me worried, the things that I'm sad about. I'm thinking about those things. what Paul's saying, listen, I could choose to focus on being in prison I could choose to write to a bunch of retired Roman soldiers in Philippi and say, hey, you know, you're getting persecuted. I'm sorry about that. Let's think about that. Let's talk about that a little bit. That's sad. You shouldn't, you know, it shouldn't have to happen, but it is, and I'm so sorry. You no, know, instead, let's think about the good things. Let's think about the positive things that we have going on in our lives. And, and I want to say something here, and I said it in the first service, but I don't know that I said it as clearly as I wanted to. Sometimes you can pray yourself into worrying more. You ever done that where you just started praying about what you were worried about? And when you got done praying, you were like, man, I feel worse than I did when I started praying. Like, Lord, did you even hear me? But here's what I've started to do. Here's what I've started to do. I try to make sure this is unscientific, very subjective. I try to make sure that even if it's only 51 percent that I'm praying more about God than I am about my problems. Because if I'm just praying, Lord, you're going to have to help me. This stuff is a mess, and she's mad at me, and he's mad at me, and they stole my thing, and they did that thing, and, Lord, this is terrible, and woe is me, and this is off. I am upset. But if I just shift it around kind of like bipolar David writing the Psalms, like, Lord, you're going to have to kill them. But I praise you, God. You are worthy of all things. Like. I just make sure my prayer life is demonstrated in that way where I'm like, God, there's a mess going on. You're going to have, but you know what? You've done it before, God. Thank you, God, that you're more than enough. God, I love you. I worship you today. You're strong enough. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. When I start praying like that, even if it's just 51% about God and 49% about my problems, I tend to change what I'm thinking about. I focus on God and less on my problems because joy is a state of mind. In my pursuit of happiness, if that's what I'm about, I'm like, I want a new car. And so I go down and I get the new car and I am so excited about that new car until I got to make the first payment. And now I am frustrated about making the new payment on the car that I picked out. But instead of that, what if I'm thankful? What if I start thanking God for the means To pay for and to provide for the needs that I have. Joy is a state of mind. Look at this in verse 10. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. The third thing here is that joy is found in contentment. Joy is found in contentment. What Paul wanted us to know is he's like, listen, I'm in prison. And you guys are being persecuted, but I'm not asking you for stuff. You actually sent. They sent some resources to help Paul through one of their friends, their, their co, uh, co-laborers there in Philippi. They sent some money with him. And, and so Paul's like, listen, I'm not even asking for things. You've already helped me. But I, I figured out how to be content. I figured out how to have joy when I have plenty and when I have lack. Whether I'm well-fed or I'm hungry, I have figured out how to have joy because I figured out how to have contentment. No matter the circumstances, no matter what's happening in my life, I have figured that out. And for some of us, the, 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 the switch, the key to finding joy in our life is to be content with where you are in life. Being content with what you have. Maybe you haven't bought the new car, but thank God you got the car you've got. Or you don't have a car, you just got a bike. Or you don't have a bike, but you got two legs. Or you don't have two legs, but you got friends that can take you where you need to go. Like if you search hard enough, you can find something to be thankful for. Like even as you're frustrated writing that check for the car that you picked out, but now you're frustrated about it. Like just thank God that you've got the money in the account or you'll have it in there by the time they cash this check. (laughs) Right? Like thank God as you write the check, you've got the muscles in your hand to write the check. Or if it's not 1988 and you've never written a check before, you paid it online. So you've got a computer with internet access. And it's like, thank you, I'm content. Whether I'm well fed or hungry, whether I have plenty or lack, joy is found in contentment. For some of us today, the best thing that we could do is go home and just walk through our house the house that we're frustrated about, the house that still doesn't look like we want it to look like, the house that, you know, we're missing some stuff we used to have because we sold it off, or we lost it, and just walk through your house and just thank God for some stuff that's been there for a long time. God, thank you for this. Thank you for that. I, I haven't thanked you in a while for that thing that I've had for 20 years. God, thank you for that. Just be content with what you have. Now, before we close, I need to make a confession to you, and some of you are about to judge me really, really bad. I love fast food. I love it. I know it's terrible for you. I love it. My favorite is Burger King. I got an amen back here. This service is with me. Nine thirty wasn't with me, but listen. There is something about that smell of char grill that, like, right now, my stomach is grumbling. I mean, it is, I, baby. I know what we're having for lunch. Like, I'm telling you. Burger King is where it's at, but here's the deal, like, I love it. Like, Pastor Trevor and I have driven into some, on crazy trips, and we'll put into the app, like, where's the nearest Burger King on our route? And it's like 3,800 miles off route, and I'm like, I think we can make it. I think we'll be fine. (laughs) We ate at a Burger King one time that was in, like, the back of a shell station slash tanning salon slash law office slash tax office. With a Burger King in it, it was still just as good. I got to be honest, like, it was great. I love fast food. Like, but at the beginning of this year, I made a conscious decision, like with my New Year's resolutions, I made a conscious decision. I'm not going to eat French fries. I didn't swear off all fried foods because I wouldn't have anything else to eat. But I needed to decide as I was ordering food, I'm not just going to default to French fries. We're in the car a lot, we're going for sports and doing all kinds of stuff. I'm not gonna just default. So sometimes I'm like, I'll take the whopper with a water, no side. I mean, cause there's no other choice, right? So I just I've decided I'm not gonna eat French fries. But can I be honest about my past? There was a season in my life when I would take all the food out of the bag and look in the bottom and find the extra fries. It was like I'd won the lottery. I felt like I cheated. I felt like I stole fries from Burger King. It's like I already got my fries out and the kids' fries out and extras that I didn't even pay for. It's just the abundance of the God's love in my life and in the bag. And, but now, because I don't eat French fries, I look in the bottom of the bag. I've already given the kids their food, and I see those fries. It's the devil tempting me. And I will close up that bag and throw it away. Because if I can't eat it, they're not eating it. That's really the way <laughs> I feel about it. So I told you that there were three things that produced joy. But earlier this week, I was reading, not in Philippians, but I was reading in my daily devotions. I was reading in James. We, we do something here as a church called Soap. S-O-A-P, Scripture, Observation, Application, and Prayer. And we have the guide on our website. It is the best resource I've ever found to staying in God's Word on a regular basis. And so what you do is you just take that guide. It's one chapter a day. Honestly, it takes me like two minutes to read it. Some days, not even that long. And that's the scripture. And then you take either your phone or a device. I take a journal and I write out one verse in that one chapter. And that's the scripture. And then I make an observation, like, I don't know what that meant. I wonder who he's talking to, or I know who he's talking to, and that's amazing that he could say that to that group of people. And that's the O, observation. And then I make an application to my life. How does this apply to me? A, application. I need to do this better. I need to live that out. I need to study this a little more to figure out what this means. And then P is prayer. I just write out a short prayer. Some of the prayers in my journal are just one line. Some of them are two paragraphs. But earlier this week, our scripture reading for that day was James chapter 1. In James chapter 1, James, the half-brother of Jesus, is writing. He's writing, well, it's not really a letter. It's kind of a collection. It's almost like the New Testament version of Proverbs. James is this compilation of these one-liners and these truths that you and I can benefit from. And so I was reading that in James chapter 1. So even though I told you that there were three things that produced joy, today I'm going to give you a fourth one. Just consider it the free fries in the bottom of the bag, okay? There is another thing that I believe produces joy if you and I can see it this way. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4 says this. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Now, the observation there for me was that trials and tests produce perseverance. And perseverance produces maturity. And maturity and completeness is the goal. Without tests, I lack something that God wants me to have. Well, I don't like tests. I assume that tests and trials come from the devil, who hates me. And sometimes they do. But it's not a test if the devil's giving it to me. It's a fight. If God's doing it, it's a test. And he's going to teach me something. It's like my teachers in school. They gave me a test to see if I'd learned what I had already been taught. And if I didn't know it yet, we had to go back and review it until I learned it. So some of us, we've been in the same test for a while because we haven't yet learned what we need to learn. But what James told us is, let it finish its work so that you may be mature and complete. And the application that I made is that joy isn't because of the tests. It's because of what's on the other side of the test. That on the other side of the test is that I will not lack anymore what I'm lacking right now. There's something that when God looks at me, he says, you know what, Jeremy's good. He's got a lot going for him, but he's still lacking this one thing. So I'm going to test him in this area so that on the other side of it, he knows this truth about me. He knows this truth about what I desire for his life. He trusts me more than he trusts me now. He believes more than he believes. There's a test, and on the other side of the test is a result. I'm no longer lacking what I was lacking. I'm not as immature as I was because now I can be mature and complete according to what James told me. So the free fry today is this truth, that joy is found in seeing the bigger picture. Joy is found in seeing the bigger picture, in recognizing that there's something larger going on, that in the midst of my trials... I can have joy because I recognize there's something bigger going on here. God's doing something in me that I didn't even think about. And so I push back from what I'm walking through. I push back from that test and that trial. And I go, you know what God may be doing right here? God may be teaching me something. And in the midst of that, I can go, all right, I can get on board with that. And there's an attitude of joy that comes out of my life because I see the bigger picture. I recognize that God is up to something. God is writing a bigger story than I ever thought possible. It's not this test. It's not this trial. It's the joy of what comes on the other side of this thing. Because of what he's trying to complete in me. What he's trying to mature in me. What he wants to grow in me. The fruit that he wants to produce out of me that he's wanting these things to come out of my life. And so i got to walk through some things that I probably don't want to walk through. And so what I recognize is that, just like we discussed earlier, joy isn't the work you do. Joy is the fruit of God's work in you. Joy isn't the work you do. Joy is the fruit of God's work in you. And I recognize that when I say that today, it's hard work. To maintain joy in the midst of bad circumstances and to maintain joy when things aren't going great and to maintain joy when you're walking through tests and trials. And yet all we have to do is look to the example of Jesus Christ to see the most powerful example of joy known to man. It's found in Hebrews chapter 12 where it says this. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Jesus went to the cross and endured the cross for the joy of knowing what was on the other side. What was on the other side of the cross was salvation for you, healing for you, Reconciliation for the brokenness in your home, your family, the miraculous that you were seeking from him. He's like, man, the bigger picture here is, man, my father, God, he he needs he needs a once-for-all time sacrifice. I can maintain an attitude of joy as I endure the cross. Everything that we've talked about today, everything the Apostle Paul laid out for us in Philippians, Jesus exhibited. He had a relationship with the Father. He had a state of mind where he understood what God was doing. He was thinking on those things that were right and true and noble, praiseworthy and excellent, focusing on the Father. He was content with everything that he had and everything that he didn't. And he saw the bigger picture. And if the works of the flesh produce all these other nasty things, the more that I crucify those things and allow the work of the Spirit of God to be done in me, the fruit of God to be exhibited in my life, I find joy. I'm going to ask our host to get ready today as we conclude our time by taking communion. I can think of no better way to respond to the joy that Jesus Christ considered as he endured the cross than to take these elements in our hands and to take part in the act that he asked us to do in remembrance of him. And I don't know what you're walking through today. I don't know what good things are happening or bad things are happening, but here's what I know. Joy is available to you because of Jesus Christ. So before we take these elements, I'm going to ask you just to bow your head and close your eyes, just right where you're at, just for a moment. And if you would say to me today, Jeremy, I I need to ask him to be the Lord and Savior of my life. I need him to forgive my sins and lead my life from this moment forward. Would you just lift your hand right where you're at? Thank you so much. You can put it right back down. Now, if you would say, you know what, today, Jeremy, for me, I just... I want to be a more joyful person. No matter the circumstances, no matter what's happening, I want to be able to have that attitude of joy that is produced by the Spirit of God as I am content and focus on the things of God and as I have relationship with God and as I recognize that maybe there's a bigger story going on than I've accounted for. I just want to, I want God to produce more joy in my life. Would you lift your hand right where you're at? Thank you so much. God, we love you today. We thank you for the opportunity to gather together in this place And God, we thank you for those who have chosen to follow you with their lives and salvation. And God, we thank you today that you hear us and you respond to us. And we thank you, God, that the Spirit of God can live inside of us and produce in us these fruit of the Spirit that model your life in us. So God, I pray today for every uplifted hand that desires to be more joyful. God, would you produce in us that joy that can only come from you, God, would you help us not to see it like happiness as a feeling related to circumstance? But God, it is an attitude that we choose as you do the work in us. And so God, I pray that that's the result for all of us today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. They're gonna distribute these elements. I'm gonna ask you to hold them in your hand as the band leads us in one more song of worship and then we'll come back and take together. I'm gonna ask you to stand right where you're at. Some of you are already doing that. Just stand as we take these elements today. Scripture tells us that Jesus asked us to do this often in remembrance of him. So today, as we take these elements, we do this in remembrance of what Jesus did for us when he endured the cross. But before he went to the cross, that's when he took these elements with his friends, his disciples, those followers of Jesus that we see throughout the gospels doing life and ministry with him. They were gathered together there around the table And maybe you don't view this room as a room full of your friends. But today, for the next two or three minutes, I'm going to ask you to. We just want to model what Jesus did. So we're here with our friends. We're going to take these elements together. It was in that moment that he picked up the bread. And he blessed it. And he broke it. I'm going to ask you to break that little wafer right there in your hand. And then he said to him, his friends... Something they could not understand for a couple more days. He said, This is my body, which is broken for you. Let's take and eat together today. Then he picked up the cup, there with his friends. And he said, this is my blood. What? This is Jesus. You're right in front of us. This is, this is a cup. He said, this is my blood, which is shed for you. A couple days later, they would begin to see that as his side was pierced and his hands and his feet were pierced, the blood spilled out that provides for our forgiveness and our healing. He said, this is the blood of the new covenant that is shed for the remission of sins. As we take this cup today, filled with juice. Let us not forget the sacrifice of Jesus. God, we thank you today for the opportunity to take part in this meal with friends, this moment of remembrance for who you are and for what you've done through Jesus Christ. God, I thank you for the brokenness of Jesus on the cross. Because it allows everyone in this room to be made whole. God, I thank you for the shed blood of Jesus on the cross because it allows for everyone in this room to be forgiven and to be healed. And so God, we thank you today for that. And God, we pray that you would continue to do the work in our hearts and lives that you desire to do. Not for our good, but for your glory. And so God, we honor you now, we worship you now. When we leave this place, we crucify our passions and desires so that you can more and more allow us to reflect the nature of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you again for listening. If you would like more information about today's message or about our church, we invite you to visit us at cantonchurch.com or on Facebook at facebook.com slash